This is the Emmanuel Message Podcast. For more information on Emmanuel, check us out online at kenosha.church. We are in the second week of Empires, Volume 1, a study of the Book of Romans. What happens when your faith meets resistance in public? This week, we will look at what happens when your faith meets resistance and still grows. Enjoy the message. Good morning, Emmanuel Kenosha Church. It's so good to have you again in our second week of Empires Volume 1. This is a chapter by chapter. Sometimes we'll go verse by verse. Sometimes we'll get stuck on a word. It's a study of the book of Romans. And you know what makes me excited about the book of Romans? Over the last 200 years, many of the revivals were sparked by the reading of the book of Romans. In fact, theologian John Calvin said this about the book of Romans. He says it's an entrance opened to almost all the hidden treasures of Scripture. I believe that we are on the cusp of a revival in this nation. Some of you are like, wait, what? Have you read the news? Have you seen what's going on? Listen, here's the deal. We may have hit some major speed bumps in culture, but these are often precursors to people longing for something more. And I believe that more people are going to find in Jesus Christ. And we want to be that bright, shining light on the city and a hill through this whole area where people can know and recognize who they're made for, and that is Almighty God, and that they can come to know God through Jesus Christ. That is my excitement. That's my expectation. I believe God is going to use this church, and even as we go through this study in the book of Romans, to do just that. Um, Paul wrote this letter to an infant Roman church in the Roman Empire. Uh, This church was not founded by Paul, but yet this church needed to go beyond just the surface of their faith. They needed an understanding, a deeper understanding of what it meant to become a fully devoted follower of Christ. They needed to understand what the gospel actually meant. And you know what? That's exactly what we are charged as well. In fact, our mission here at Emmanuel Kenosha Church is to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. We want to understand truly what the gospel is so that we can personally connect people to the power of God. So we're going to start today in Romans chapter 1, verse 8. Romans chapter 1, verse 8. And so uh, if you have your Bibles or you've downloaded the Bible app on your phone, you're going to want to use this as we go by chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Also, the words will be on the screen if this is your first time with us. Now, many of you, you might not know this, but at one point in my life, I was an elected politician. Did you know that? Anybody know that? I was an elected politician. My political days are long behind me, but I was once elected to a non-partisan youth commission for my small town in the eighth grade. All right. I know some of you are like, well, you, oh, wait, that doesn't count. Yes, it did. It, that's what made it so unique and so awesome. This youth commission uh, was one of the first such boards in the whole country at the time. And we sponsored another, another uh, a number of uh, youth gatherings in the city. We pushed for city-wide sidewalks. But the biggest initiative was the city-wide curfew for teenagers under 18. In fact, the city council, they convinced us that under 18s were running wild and running rampant after the 10 o'clock hour. And they're saying, you know, people were calling in saying people were walking through their lawns or I don't know exactly what it was. But looking back, it's like, really, in my small town, Iowa, we needed a curfew. They convinced us we did. And so we crafted a curfew. We went through the motions of presenting a curfew and we were able to pass a curfew for our city. Now, Right before the curfew was passed, the Des Moines Register, it's the biggest newspaper in Iowa, uh, they came to, the, to our youth commission to interview us. Now, I thought they were just looking at the concept of what a youth commission was or the concept of here are the youngest elected officials in the country. But no, rather, they were interested in the curfew. And so I was interviewed by them, not thinking it was going to be about the curfew, about something else. And I just called it a day. 
Now, besides being a elected official on the youth commission at the eighth grade, I was also a professional paper boy. That's right. Every morning I would deliver newspapers. And so that morning I was delivering the, the Des Moines Register and every morning I'd have to put the different sections together. I'd have to wind it up with a rubber band and then that would enable me to throw onto people's porches. As I was building the newspaper that morning, to my horror, I realized that I was in the paper. In fact, I was a front and center quote of the paper uh, about the curfew that was going to be happening in Indianola, in my home city. And this is what I said. In fact, I put this on the screen. This was the quote that I read. It says, I think we should have one. It will eliminate many problems we have at night. What is the purpose of being outside other than being disruptive? Literally, get off my lawn. I sound like I wasn't a 14 year old, but somebody who really loved their lawn and that's all I had attention for, okay? Uh, this front and center quote went viral in the 1990s. Viral meant people read the newspaper and they talked about it in school. They went viral the next day at school and people were ridiculing me. My closest friends were ridiculing me. They thought I had sold them out. How dare you put a curfew in the city? And so something I was proud of, I began to feel shame. And then that shame metastasized into being ashamed. I was ashamed that I passed this curfew, helped pass this curfew. I was ashamed that I was even on this youth commission. And you know, the thing is, is that I should have been happy. I should have been honored that I was on such a board, that I was able to help and, and, and formulate rules and, and regulations in the city. But instead, I felt absolute shame. You know, as a church, we're not elected officials, thank the Lord, right? Uh, but here's the deal. We do represent something that's very, very serious. And that is how to have a right relationship with Jesus, how to walk in right relationship with others. That means we have to stand for something and we stand on the word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And because we stand for something, that means that, yes, just like when I was on a youth commission and experienced shame, you may feel shame uh, about the gospel. You may feel shame from others about your belief in Jesus Christ. So what happens when your faith that sometimes is private becomes public? Well, Paul is going to address this today. In fact, let's look at Romans 1.15. Let's go to verse 15. We'll get back to the previous verses in just a moment. Romans 1.15 says this, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Verse 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first of the Jew and then also the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it's written, the righteous will live by faith. Now, Paul was writing to equip the Roman church to exhort them, do not be ashamed of your faith. Do not be ashamed of the gospel. But in stating not being ashamed of the gospel, he is letting in a little secret. He, as long, along with us, are gonna have the temptation to be ashamed of the gospel or feel shame because of the gospel. In fact, he lets uh, in his, what's going on in his mind in a previous letter to the, the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 1.18, Paul said this, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but is the power of God to those who are being saved. He goes on in 1 Corinthians 2.1. He says, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. Paul knew that his words, that his beliefs were gonna be scrutinized by an unbelieving culture. And the fact that we can deduce that the people in culture didn't think Paul's message was believable at all. They scorned him 
as a fool. So we see back in verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek, meaning everybody. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So we see here a dichotomy of thought. Don't be ashamed of the gospel because the righteous will live by faith. The things of Jesus in the culture at large will be seen as foolishness. Uh, if you're made to feel foolish, you will inevitably feel the shame of other people. And the more that you feel shame, the more that you're opening yourself up to believe in that shame. And when you believe in that shame, you become ashamed. You're When you're ashamed, you're ashamed at something. In this case, you'll be ashamed of God or his gospel. Shame is a feeling that arises from the belief that there's something wrong with you as a result of being connected to the wrong idea, wrong person, or wrong experience. Shame brings up your past and your insecurities, and it's one of Satan's strongest tools to minimize your faith and your effectiveness. So the question I have this morning is, let's examine our faith here. Are you making apologies for your faith? Are you trying to bury or minimize your faith because of shame maybe that you're feeling in the culture at large? You see, when the scrutiny of culture arrives, how will you stand? Will you stand firm? Will you, will you be wobbly? Will you fall over? What will it be? Shame is a powerful tool in the tool belt of Satan to minimize, to stifle uh, in his attempt to try to destroy your faith. So here's our main idea this morning. Our main idea is this, is that shame stifles what faith grows. Shame stifles what faith grows. And so today we're gonna talk about three marks that require your faith to grow. And that is a thankful spirit, a ready spirit, and a bold spirit. But just briefly, before we get into these three marks, let's talk about faith. What is faith? Now, as followers of Christ, you may think of faith as this entry mark into receiving Christ in your life. That's very true. Without faith, we can't receive the grace of Jesus, what he did for us on the cross. Uh, we can't receive his forgiveness. Faith is a necessary requirement. But often we leave faith at the beginning and faith begins to wander maybe in our everyday life. Everything we do needs to be in faith of who God is, our identity in Jesus Christ. Faith needs to lead every action in our life. And so without that, we can fool ourselves. We can begin to think that, okay, maybe uh, if I try hard enough or if I'm disciplined or I know all this information, then I can grow my faith. I can grow my faith. I can grow who I am in Jesus. But here's the deal. You can do all of that, but your faith in Christ, your dependence on Christ is very low. We all need faith in everything that we do, and it needs to be centered upon Christ. Faith is so important, but the thing is this, what's way more important in your faith is where your faith is placed upon. What do you have faith in? Let me give you an example. Uh, there was this uh, person that I knew once, they applied to go to Moody, Moody Bible Institute in downtown Chicago. It's a hard school to get into, but they were confident. They had faith that they were going to be able to get to Moody Bible Institute, so much so that their faith led to action, that they sold all their possessions. Uh, they moved to Chicago, got an apartment, and waited for that letter. And when that letter finally came, it said, you are not accepted to Moody Bible Institute. They were devastated. It wasn't that they didn't have faith that they were gonna get accepted, it's that their faith was misplaced. This is so important. As we grow in our faith, we need to make sure we're growing in our faith, not in ourselves and what we know, but ultimately we're growing in our faith in the object of our faith, and that is Jesus Christ. It's not having, 
It is not having strong faith in itself that it's total value. It's the object of our faith. We can place our faith on so many wrong places, so many wrong things, so many wrong people. But the power of our faith comes in the person of Jesus who died for us, who rose from the dead. And this is an object of our faith. This is what the world calls foolish. The world says, how could you believe in that? The world says, really, your faith is upon someone who died on the cross. And our answer is absolutely yes. He is the object of our faith. Everything else is sinking sand. Faith in Jesus is not just the password to get into heaven. It is the air that keeps us alive and enables us to thrive in this life right now. Faith is required to grow. So for your faith to grow though, uh, we need these three characteristics in our spirit. These need to be thriving in our spirit. Number one is if faith is growing, you're gonna see a thankful spirit emerge from your heart. Let's take a look at verse eight. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because the news of your faith is being reported in all the world. God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in telling you the good news about his son that I constantly mention you, always asking in my prayers that if it is somehow in God's will, I may now at least succeed in coming to you. Now, let us let me just tell you what he means by his spirit. Verse nine, his spirit means his intellect, his emotions, and his ambitions. Uh, and so what he's saying is, God, I want by faith to use my spirit for the service to you, to see your kingdom ad- advance. And so Paul wanted to give his whole self, his whole spirit to the things of God. He was thankful for what Jesus did for him on the cross, the object of his faith, that his life was going to well up into a life of thanksgiving. And when a life is filled with thanksgiving, it's filled with praise, praise towards God. Paul grew uh, rapidly in his faith because he had an abundance of thanksgiving in his life of what God did through him and what he saw God do through others. And so we see here in verse eight, Paul praises Jesus because the faith had spread in Rome. Now, look at this. The Roman church was founded despite Paul. So Paul comes into the city, and if you looked at it in his flesh, he'd be like, what are these people doing? They don't know anything. I didn't found this church. I didn't teach them. I need to show them a thing or two. Like, they're inch deep in their faith. I, can you believe them? No, that's not what it was. What we see here exactly was he began to thank God because their faith was being not only reported around Rome, but throughout the known world. That should be our heart. When we see Jesus made manifest, whether it's in this church or another church around the world, our heart should well up with praise when the true gospel is, and people are placing their faith and trust in Jesus. When it's going out throughout the world, our hearts should praise. And he was thankful to God that the church was being obedient and sharing their faith and they were growing and the whole world knew about it. And you know what? That's what I hope Emmanuel Kenosha Church is gonna be about. I hope that, it, not just for reputation's sake, I don't want people to say, oh, Emmanuel, that's such an awesome church or, oh, they're the cool church down the street or they're doing this or that or whatever. Whatever, that's not my heart at all. What my heart is, is that the gospel of Jesus Christ, Jesus is known increasingly because of what's happening right here. Do you get what I'm saying? I wanna see people become fully devoted followers of Christ where people are worshiping and the moment they leave this building or they're leaving their online stream and you're going wherever, you just can't stop talking about Jesus. 
Jesus. You just can't uh, stop sharing Jesus. You just can't stop inviting people into the church or the online stream. Why? Because you're all about Jesus. That is what I just desire. That's what I pray for. That's what I ask the Lord for. God, may Emmanuel Kenosha Church be known by this. Not that people are, are praising Emmanuel Kenosha Church's name, but they're praising Jesus's name because of what's happening at Emmanuel Kenosha Church. Now notice how Paul thanks God. In verse eight, he says, I thank my God. Now, this thankful attitude towards God is not some abstract thought to a God that's just distant. In fact, when he's writing this letter that he's saying, I thank my God, again, this is a sentence we could just blow through. Uh, this would have been profound to somebody who was a pagan or even Jewish who may have been reading this letter to Romans. They'd be like, wait, Paul is, is he's speaking to God like my God, like, like he's, he's personal. Yes, our relationship with God is personal. Where every other religion, God is somewhere out there. Even in some Christian churches, God seems distant or he's out there or he's an angry God that just wants to look for you to do the wrong thing to hit you with the lightning bolt, right? That is not the God that we read in scripture. Jesus is so full of mercy and love. He's drawing you right now to himself. He wants you to know your purpose that he created for you to be in right relationship with him. And so Paul, when he's praying to God, it's not just a hope that he's just thrown to heaven. He's having a personal conversation with a real and personal God. And my question to you is this, Emmanuel Kenosha Church, is how personal is God to you right now? Does he seem distant or does he seem close? Are you thankful to him? Does he seem close? Does he seem real? Now, for some of us, life is just too busy for God to seem real. Can we just get real there for a moment? Like it, right when uh, the safe at home order ended, you know, we just got real busy again, right? And the thing is, is that busyness can push out what's most important. Busyness can push out what God wants to do and what he's speaking to us. Church, let's take this season and say, you know what? When we walk into normal again, let's make the normalcy of longing for God's voice and his activity part of our life. May we never push that out of our life. For some of us, we just have not tasted how good God is because life has been so busy with things that are not as important as the Lord God Almighty. You know, when I was in Rome last November with Allison, we were there for a day before we were getting ready to go up and, and do ministry in Northern Italy. Uh, on our way to the Colosseum, I went into a convenience store and I found the Holy Grail of soda. For those of you that, that don't know, I am a, a soda connoisseur. I love exotic sodas. I, I love rare sodas, but my, my favorite soda of all time is Pepsi Twist. And I caught in the corner of my eye in Italy, a Pepsi Twist. In America, they quit making this in the early 2000s. They still make it there. I was ecstatic. I said, Allison, I gotta go in there. I bought like seven cans. I'm throwing them in my backpack. There's dents in here because of that. And immediately I cracked it. I cracked one open and I began to drink it. And it was so good. Allison's like, Andy, what's the matter with you? He's like, I am tasting the nectar of heaven. I am tasting the greatest soda to ever be released on the planet. And she says, Andy, you gotta stop walking. Allison, let me just have this moment. She goes, Andy, you're gonna die. No, I'm alive right now. No, Andy, you're literally standing in the middle of a busy Roman street drinking a soda and you've stopped. I'm like, oh, whoa, <laughs> everything faded away. 
to where I was literally standing in the middle of a busy intersection just drinking my soda. People probably were like, man, that guy's not sober. No, I'm drinking a soda. Okay, I am, right? But the thing is, it's like, it's so good. Everything else faded away. You know what? You know what's better than Pepsi Twist? <laughs> Our Lord God Almighty. Some of you are like, well, duh. Well, here's the deal. Psalm 34, 8 says this, taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the person who takes refuge in him. When we are able to pause and take in the goodness of God, we are going to be thankful to God where the things that don't matter as much fade away so that we can see God, see his will for our life, and we're able to follow him with a full heart. If you want your faith to grow, we have to have a thankful spirit that's willing to take in the goodness of God. When you approach God in faith, you will not be ashamed. You will realize the grace and goodness that you have in Christ. Everything else will fade away. I told Allison after I had that Pepsi twist, like we can just go home now. I don't need to see the Coliseum. I don't need to do anything else. Let's just go back to Kenosha. I've made it. Listen, when we receive Christ, we have made it. We don't need anything else. It is that good. But yet so many other things crowded out to where we forget that. And we can even become ashamed of him. You know, when we're thankful, not only does it well up into praise, but it wells up into praying for others. You see, when we realize how good God is, we don't shrink back and say, I don't want to bother God. He's personal. And when he's personal, you want to make sure that other people know just how good he is. We see this that Paul said in verse 9. He says, I constantly mention you. He's telling the Roman church people he's never met. He's like, I'm constantly mentioning you in his prayers, always asking my prayers that if somehow in God's will, I may now at least succeed in coming to you. He wants to come to this Roman church so that they can grow deeper into their faith, that they can become effective in ministry to share the faith with those that are far from God. When you're thankful, you want others to experience in God's goodness, abide in his goodness. Paul knew that this Roman church would not thrive with their own strength and that the enemy, the devil, was going to do anything to stop them and silence them and shame them. And so he prayed for them. You know what happens when you stop being thankful? You stop praying. You want to know why? Because when you stop being faithful, your faith begins to shrink. You begin to place your faith in other things and God doesn't seem that important. If God doesn't seem that important, then why would you go to him in prayer? When you don't go to him in prayer, you're definitely not praying for others or encouraging others to follow into Christ. It's a domino effect. It's a, it's a awful domino effect. Paul being thankful, never stopped praying for the Roman church. And I'm sure it's just like his prayer that he had for the Ephesian church. This is, we get a, a, some revelation here in the book of Ephesians of how he prayed for the Ephesian church. And I'm, I'm very sure that he prayed very similarly to the Romans. He said this, his prayer for the church was that he would know the, that they would know the breadth, the length, the height, the depth of the love of Christ, that they'd be able to comprehend the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. In the church, that is the, heartbeat of the church, that we grow in the faith, that we grow in our understanding of the gospel, that we'd be the hands and feet of the gospel, that we will personally share in the thanksgiving of God together. It's meant to be a community. Faith grows with a thankful spirit. Secondly, faith grows with a ready spirit. Let's take a look at verse 11. For I want very much to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Paul desperately wanted to get to Rome, not only to be with them, to pray with them, to experience and fellowship with them. 
He wanted to equip them in spiritual gifts. Another hallmark of a growing faith is selflessly serving one another to strengthen and encourage each other in the faith without ulterior motive. This is the beauty of when we come together as a church, that we're able to encourage and equip each other for ministry. For anyone that serves the Lord with the aim of trying to get recognition, uh, they open themselves up for disappointment and even self-pity when they don't get the recognition that they want. And so when we serve in the church and we serve each other, we do it only for the Lord so that people may be encouraged and built up, not so that we can get accolades or status or even it's something that, uh, that you know, we feel like is our pet thing that we like to do. We serve the Lord open-handed. And when we serve, we do it for the Lord and for the encouragement of others. If our faith is to grow, we need to have a ready spirit to be used and do what it takes to encourage one another without conditions. Now, some of us, we only wanna serve the Lord or others if it's on our terms. Instead, we're told over and over again in scripture that we are to love the Lord and that we are to put others' interest above our own. You know, so many churches, I believe, are in dire conditions because they are putting conditions on their obedience. We need to be unconditionally obedient to the Lord and we need to be ready to serve him. We need to have a ready spirit for God to move through us and to be used uh, and to be used for him and for his purposes, no matter what. We can be thankful, but if we're not ready to be ready, then we're not gonna have a lot to be thankful for because God wants to use us and we are gonna be thankful as a result of seeing him work through us. In the context of Paul, he wanted to impart a spiritual gift to strengthen the church. Paul wrote, Paul wrote extensively about spiritual gifts in his letter previously to the Corinthian church, of which if you want to read uh, after the sermon today, it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14. Uh, and then he will write extensively about spiritual gifts again in Romans chapter 12. The word spiritual in the original Greek here of spiritual gifts is pneumakatos, uh, which is from pneuma, which means spirit. And gifts is from the word charisma. It's where we get charismatic or literally, if we translate it even further, grace gifts. So literally you put these words together. It is spiritual of the spirit grace gifts, which means the gifts of the Holy Spirit are given to God for you to encourage others and build up the church by his good pleasure. There's nothing that we can do to conjure up gifts in ourselves. They're all from God by his grace, by his undeserved favor given to you for a specific reason to build up the church, not for you to feel good about yourself, which you will. When you're used by God, you do feel good about yourself, but that's not the end goal. It's to feel good and be thankful what God does through you seeing the church built up in his ministry going forward. And so when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, you are given the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to reside in your heart, to reside in, 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 your, in your soul. The thing is, is that many people have the Holy Spirit, but they're like, the Holy who? Who's the Holy Spirit? That's right. You can have the Holy Spirit, but not be filled with the Holy Spirit, not be filled under the control of the Holy Spirit. And so if, if the Holy Spirit's more like a holy who to you today, uh, today just say spirit of the living God who comes to live in you when you place your faith and trust in him, the spirit of the living God that's in you, will you fill my life? Will you lead my life? What Will you guide and direct my life? And when he does, he gifts you with his gifts to be the hands and feet of the gospel. We're instructed in scripture to eagerly desire the gifts for the building up of the church and the furtherance of the gospel in his kingdom. So what does Paul mean when he wants to come to the Roman church to impart a gift? 
Well, he doesn't mean that he can craft gifts and give them out like, oh, you want this gift? Here you go, here you go. That's not what he means. What he means is that he wants to impart, that means he wants to demonstrate his giftedness to build up the church. We also know that he's gonna teach on gifts so that the, the, the church members will understand what their giftedness is, that they can all be the hands and feet and move the church forward in maturity. That's so important for us as a manual. In fact, we're gonna take a whole series in the fall, a Holy Spirit series, so that we can discover the role of the Holy Spirit in the church, but also how we are gifted in the Holy Spirit so that we are lacking in nothing in this church so that we can be the hands and feet in the gospel go forward in ways it never has. We need to be ready, listening to the Holy Spirit. We need to be ready to pray for people. We need to be ready to minister to people, to give words of encouragement to people. We need to be ready to share the goodness of God with people. A ready heart is ready for what God has in that moment. Not just like, God, use me later. God, how are you going to use me now? A growing faith has a visible and tangible expression of obedience, being used by the Spirit, by being willing. God, use me however you want to use me. A person that grows in faith has a readiness to be used by God any time. So to grow, you need a thankful spirit. To grow, you need a willing spirit. And finally, to grow, you need a bold spirit. Let's go to verse 16. Paul continues, he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Paul, speaking of not being ashamed, listen, he was in prison for his faith. He was chased out of cities because of his faith. He, he left cities within inches of his life. He was laughed at. He lost his wealth. He lost his prestige. He was considered a fool because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yet he pressed on and he is encouraging us. Do not be ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because he knows that you and I, and he included, we are gonna feel shame and we are gonna be tempted to be ashamed of the gospel, water down the gospel, minimize and bury the gospel. Because church, the gospel of Jesus Christ is a stumbling block. Jesus says it is gonna be a stumbling block. It was a stumbling block in the days of Jesus. It was a stumbling block in the days of the early church. It's a stumbling block today. It's gonna be a stumbling block tomorrow. It's gonna be a stumbling block until Jesus comes back. It, the reason why it's a stumbling block is because it demands a decision. Are we gonna follow Christ or are we not? In the American church, we have a bit of an identity crisis right now. Uh, there's many churches that don't wanna talk about the gospel. They don't wanna talk about the crucifixion. They don't wanna talk about miracles. They don't wanna talk about the resurrection because it just seems weird in a world that has a disposition of not believing in miracles. But I wanna tell you, this is the moment for the church to take a stand, for the church to be known for the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is not a time to shrink back because the gospel changes everything to everybody who places their faith and trust in Jesus. The gospel is the power to change the trajectory of who before Christ were spiritually dead to make us alive. We need to be what Paul is saying, bold for the gospel. Now, he's not saying be brash. What I mean by that is, you know, be a jerk or stand on the street corner with a sign saying how better than you are than everybody else or, or, or to get into a debate just to win. That's not what he's saying. What he means by being bold is be clear. Be clear what the gospel is all about. Because if you're feeling shame and you're internalizing that and you become ashamed of the gospel, you know what you won't be? You won't be clear with the gospel. You'll water it down, you'll minimize it, and you'll emphasize other things at the expense of the gospel. We need the gospel to be bold. This culture 
needs to hear the gospel. We're weary, we're tired, we need the grace of Jesus Christ. Every single person, whether you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, or you're watching this morning and you're checking out the things of Jesus, we were all at a point, at one, at one point, where none of us believed in the gospel of Jesus. And then somebody boldly, not brashly, boldly, that means clearly, explained who Jesus is, why he died on the cross, why he rose from the dead, and what our response needs to be, the gospel. They explained the good news of Jesus. And if you consider yourself a follower of Christ today, there at that point, you said yes. The gospel is the power of God. That word power in the Greek, and I know I'm teaching another Greek word by the end of this message, you're gonna know, uh, you're gonna hold a new language, right? You're gonna know Greek, right? So the power, and uh, in, in the word power in the Greek language is dunamis. It's where we get the English word dynamite. In fact, dynamite was invented in the 18th century and they're like, okay, that's pretty cool. We lit off this, this stick and it blew something up. What do we call it? And they're like, we don't have a word for it. You know what they did? They went back to the Greek language and it's like, call it this. So you can misread this. You could say, you know what? The gospel is so powerful, it's like dynamite. No, wrong, it's flipped. When they invented dynamite, they're like, what do we call this? Hey, use that word they used for the gospel. That's how powerful it is. Or that's what it looks like. Listen, the gospel is way more powerful than dynamite, but you get my point. The gospel changes everything to everyone who places their faith and trust in him alone is considered a son and daughter of the king. Notice what Paul says. He says, Jew and Greek. Greek meant everybody who wasn't of Jewish faith. That means everybody, everyone who places their faith in Christ will be saved, will be seen as a son and daughter equal before God. The word save brings about a picture of deliverance, a deliverance from sin. You see, sin separates us from an almighty God. Sin separates us from having a close personal relationship with God. But to have a, pro, a close personal relationship with God, something has to be done with your sin. Well, there's nothing that we can do about our sin. There's, not, there's nothing, we can work really hard, we're still gonna have the problem of sin. We're still gonna be sinners, our sin is gonna separate us from God. But you know what? God being full of love and mercy sent Jesus 2,000 years ago to do what we couldn't do. He went to the cross to stand in our place, to take the debt of our sin upon himself. He died, he's a perfect sacrifice, so he rose from the dead. And the Bible says, if we place, here it is, our faith on Jesus Christ alone, we will be saved. This word salvation is so, huge. It took what was impossible and made it possible. May we never substitute this word salvation for some kind of economic, political, or societal salvation as some have. This is something way bigger than that. This is the salvation of our souls. Without it, we are destined towards an eternity away from God's presence. But thanks be to God, he stood in our place to provide a way he is powerful to wipe away any and all sins, past, present, and future. And by faith, when we place our trust in God's glorious gospel through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we are saved. How can we be ashamed of that? We shouldn't. It is the greatest news. It's the greatest news. It is the heart of the book of Romans. And it's gonna, it's going to be the filter of which we look at every issue. And we're gonna look at a ton of issues here in the book of Romans. It's gonna be the filter of what, how we see the world and how we will experience eternity. So as we close today, I wanna give three applications and then I wanna give you an opportunity if you, if God feels far from you for him to come close. 
Here are the three applications that I want you to do this week. Number one is declare your thankfulness every day. For some of you, that means you need to write a note card and stick it on the wall in your house, put it on your steering wheel. For some of you, that means you need to write a notebook or, or, or on your phone, you need to make a reminder and, and just think, okay, God, I wanna thank you today. Be a thankful person every day this week. Secondly, decide you will be used by God. Decide, God, I'm gonna be used by you. Don't put terms on it. You know, right now, specifically here at Emmanuel Kenosha Church online, uh, digitally, you could help out uh, being uh, on the online chat. Or if you're live with us uh, and in person, uh, we have a number of areas, whether it be our stream team, our family experience team, there are a number of areas you can jump in right now. And then deliver the good news to all people. You need to not be ashamed of the gospel, but know that God wants to use you every day, not to be that street preacher with the sign, but to be that person, the embodiment of the gospel, where you make the gospel clear to somebody who is disinterested, interested. Now let me, now let me just talk to those of you right now. I feel like right now there are some of you that are followers of Christ. You feel like God is distant. There's some of you, you know that you're not a follower of Christ. You know that this church thing's new and God seems distant. I wanna pray for both of you because I believe right now, God wants to step into your life to where you realize you are close to him. So Father, I just wanna pray first off for those that they're unsure that they've ever made their relationship with you personal. They're unsure where they're going, if they're even gonna go to heaven or uh, they, they just don't know where they're at with you. God, I pray that right now, that they would seek you, that right now they would open their heart to you, that you would save them, that you would forgive them, uh, that they would know that they are a child of God. So as we continue to pray, I just wanna speak to those of you right now that you you know that you don't have a relationship with Jesus or uh, you're uncertain. Guess what the Bible says you can know right now. God created you, have a relationship with him. Your sins separated you from God. There's nothing that you can do religiously or, or to get yourself to God. Jesus did it all. He paid it all on the cross and what he's asking you to do now is confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Believe in your heart that he rose from the dead and you will be saved. Just cry out to Jesus right now. Say, Jesus, save me. Jesus, I believe what you did on the cross. I, I, I believe that you, you forgave all my sins. I wanna, I wanna follow you now. If that's you, just, just will you do this? Will you just pray with me? Uh, will you just pray with me? This prayer doesn't save you. I'm just helping you communicate to God. Just say, Lord Jesus, save me. Lord Jesus, I believe what you did on the cross as payment for my sins. Thank you for standing in my place. I place my faith and trust in you alone. Help me follow you now with all my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If that's you, if you prayed that prayer, will you just let one of our moderators know there's a, if you're on Church Online, there's a button where you can place, the hand will go up. That just indicates privately that someone gave their life to Christ. Now I wanna to speak to those that are followers of Christ, but God has seemed very distant. Jesus has seemed very distant. This is the moment. Say, Jesus, will you step into my life? So Father, I just pray that those that feel that you're distant, God, you've always been there. But God, I pray that you, you would answer the invitation of those who are saying, God, I need you to step into my life where I've said no to you. Just as we continue to pray, just think of those areas that you have said no to Jesus in your life where you don't want him to control. He is Lord. That means that he is our leader. He's our master. Give him that area of your life. You have said no to his control. That's the key. Do it in faith. So Father, be with those right now that are making this bold step. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, next week, we are gonna be in our third week of 
of Empires Volume 1. We're gonna talk about idolatry. It's a heavy one. Pastor Tom is gonna be delivering that message. I can't wait to hear it. It's gonna be a great one. We will see you next week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Again, if you'd like more information on Emmanuel, check us out online at kenosha.church. Also, we'd love it if you connected with us on Facebook and Instagram, both at kenosha.church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe to us on iTunes at Emmanuel Kenosha. That way you never have to miss an episode and it helps us out greatly. At Emmanuel, we are not a perfect people, but a people being made new. Thanks for listening to this week's episode and we'll see you next time on the Emmanuel Message Podcast.